Father God, we thank you for that freedom. Father God, I think each one in this room this morning, we can remember that day when that freedom came. And Father, that past, that old nature, it's gone, it's dead, it's gone. And Father God, today we stand in your presence and we can declare you as Lord, as God. You are so amazing and awesome, God, that we stand here today free as sons and daughters of the Most High King. Thank you, Jesus. We praise your name, Father. Thank you, Father. This freedom we're singing about is available to every single person in this room. And so this morning, as we come before the King, let's just raise our hands to Him. Let's shout to Him. Let's lift our voice to Him. Let's begin to declare to Him what He's done in our life. Because that's the God we serve. Remember the day He freed you. That's the same God you're worshiping today. It's the same God who deserves all of our worship. So let's worship Him with every single thing we have in us today. Can we agree to that this morning? Thank you, Father. Yes, Lord. Let's worship Him. So during our fast, the Lord has led me to Jeremiah for the very first time. I had never been able to read through the prophets. And in Jeremiah 13, it actually maps out exactly what God created us for. In the NIV, it says, For as a belt is bound around the waist, so I bound all the people of Israel and all the people of Judah to me, declares the Lord, to be my people for my renown and praise and honor. It completely spells out what we're here to do. We are here to be His people for His renown, to praise Him and bring Him honor on earth. And that is just so powerful. I wonder if we could just pause for a second. I believe every time that we come and present ourselves to worship, we are crossing close to an opportunity. And those that don't understand worship think it's a sequence of songs that you sing. And, uh, and that's what worship is. But David, even David in the Old Testament, he understood something else. And so he gave himself fully to the Lord even to the degree that his wife, who had watched the previous king all her life, did not understand. And, uh, and he was mystified because he thought, how is it you didn't know that this was unto the king? This was before the Lord. Like, I, what do you think's happening here? Do you think this is a parade? What do, what do you think this is? We are coming before the Lord. And it's like, for the first time, maybe he saw this disconnect that most people didn't know how to worship. They thought it was about the pageantry. They thought it was about the songs. They thought about the words. They thought about being in the room. And I feel like every time we come to this place, there's a worship that unlocks a door of intimacy into the presence of God. And if we're just singing songs, we pass by. We don't even know that we're stuck at this place that's distant. But David understood, no, I'm. this moment might just have been I prayed for you, but for me, I was coming before the, the Ancient of Days. I was humbling myself before the Lord of Lords and the King of the Universe. So we decide today, which are we doing? Are we singing songs? Or are we really, literally coming before Him? And if we are coming before Him, let's give Him everything in this next few moments. Let's give Him everything as we sing 
this, uh, this song again. Let's give them everything. Father, we pray that you would perfect praise in the earth. God, you said that you are looking for those who will worship you in spirit and in truth. We say, God, Holy Spirit, come and teach us how to worship in such a way that you cannot remain in heaven, that you must come. Teach us to worship in such a way, with such a sound that captivates the attention of your heart, that you must come. Raise up the sound of the bride that says, come. The Spirit and the bride say, come. You know, there's a continuous progression in our worship, and we can't ever think that we have equaled on earth what is in heaven until we see on earth what is in heaven. There's a fullness coming on earth of what is already in heaven, and that's the objective of Him having a people that are sanctified and called and aligned with Him, worshiping in such a way that exactly what's in heaven comes to the earth. That all the splendor, all the glory, all the presence, all the majesty, all the wonder, all the captivating gaze that fixes uh, the, uh, the eyes of all of eternity on Him until that comes to earth. We have not finished. We have not yet attained. And so we say, humbly, Lord, teach us how to worship. In Jesus' name. Can you say amen? You know, uh, we, I often tell this story, and because we have so many, we have a number of visitors today. But there's a progression into our worship that, uh, that we have to embrace, that we have to realize that this is this the nature of it. And one of the illustrations I love to give, I heard it years ago. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't discover it. But when you get a, a birthday card, and I know many of us don't get birthday cards these days or Christmas cards, but the first thing you look for when you open it up is money. But after, it used to be funnier. We're allowed to, we're allowed to laugh, you know. But the next thing you look for is not, you know, that anonymous poem that who knows who wrote. What do you look for? Handwriting right? Something personal, something from the heart of that person who sent it. And if I get a card, it's, you know, and there's just this poem and a signature, and I'm like, you know, I, I mean, it just doesn't have the same touch. The new song that God wants us to sing to Him is born of a deeper connection. We can, we can use the song that somebody else wrote as a springboard and we can jump off that and off that, but eventually you want to leave that song and launch into something spontaneous. And if we're not going into that song, then we'll come back to the song in order to use the song to catapult us into something where we become lost in our worship and just interacting freely with Him. But the reality is sometimes maybe we're not even there in our worship. Maybe that's not even possible. I remember the time when I discovered that all of us cousins didn't have the same relationship with my grandma because we lived in the other side of the country, went there one year, and, and my one cousin, who, who lived right in the same town as my, he had a bedroom at my grandma's house. I mean, he had his clothes there. He had toys there. 
And I, I'm thinking, huh, we're not all equal. <laughs> and when I watched him interact with grandma, I was like his second mom. And I, I, was, I was awkward around my grandma because I didn't know her. And so, you know, hello, how are you doing? You know, uh, of course, it's all in French. But, you know, the, all the conversation was stilted and awkward, and it was, it was rote. Is what you knew you're supposed to say to people to be polite. But, and that's often what we have in our relationship with God. We have this thing where, where this, it's not really real. There's not, we can't really release our hearts. We're not, you know, there's not this back and forth exchange. And God is saying, I can bring you into a deeper relationship with me. And even, you know, the term, well, now I call you friends, you know, Jesus didn't say that to everybody. He said that to a select few. Now I call you guys friends. He didn't say that to the 500. He didn't say that to the 3,000 on, on, uh, on the day of Pentecost. He said that to the 12 or 11 or how many there were there at the time. And so we are progressing in our ability to worship Him in spirit and truth. And, to, and we are pressing into becoming the friends of God. And we are pressing into worshiping Him in spirit and in truth because that's what He needs and that's what He seeks. And there's a practical reason for that, which we'll teach some other time. But So again, we say, Father, perfect worship on earth that you can infuse your presence into with increasing degrees of glory, with increasing degrees of your majesty, until such time as we cannot even stand to minister to you. Amen. Now, I, I, I do have something to share, but just before I get into what I wanted to share, let me tell you something. Do you know that your entire journey is uh, in God is always about God giving you an opportunity to experience more of Him? That everything that He wants... In, in your life, in your experience, is for you to experience the goodness of God. That means, uh, you know, and there's so many scriptures I can talk about that, that reference that, but, but the hardship, the trials, the, the uh, persecution even, the tribulations lead to endurance. Endurance leads to character. And that character is a conformity to Him so that you can be as pre- in His presence and not die. Hello. In, a, in heaven, our, our distance to God and our capacity to relate to Him will be connected to the conformity that we embraced while we were on the earth. And so every, everything that happens in your life is to bring you into conformity. And that's why it's so important in Hebrews 12 that He, he reminds us that everyone that He loves, He disciplines. In other words, if, and this is why it scares me, the lack of discipline in this present generation because we are equipping people to be unable to receive the discipline of God that will enable them to receive His his conformity to His presence. Because today, discipline is interpreted as hatred. And yet, in the Bible, discipline is interpreted as love. The evidence that you're loved is God doesn't let you get away with things. God holds you accountable. And so yet, you know, there's something in us when we're being held accountable, you know, we balk. And so God is saying, no, this is the evidence that I love you, 
And I'm wanting to extinguish one thing in you in order to give you more of the thing that's better. And that's the journey. Uh, it, it is a, de- a journey of death. It's a journey of decreasing selfishness. But for that, God has to reveal selfishness in order to get you to die to it. So anyway, I just want to throw that out there because I feel like, again, as we are worshiping and asking uh, God for certain things, He's saying, yeah, I am in the middle of giving it to you. And I think of Job, and uh, Job had no clue what was going on. But at the end, and I'm not saying, you know, that God wants you to lose everything, but at the end, Job, like, like Paul, said, the things I suffered aren't worthy to be compared to what I've gained. And in the midst of it, you think, what I'm losing is, is not worth losing, but you're mistaken. No, no, you're losing something in exchange for something far better. And that takes faith takes vision. It takes a belief that God is greater. It takes a belief that God is better than me and that His intention is good. And that enables you to submit to Him. And so my heart is to really see a generation fully embrace uh, what God is trying to work in us. So, Father, we thank You for what You're doing today. And I pray that, Lord, as, uh, as we share this morning, that the template of your plan and your purpose, Lord, to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord would become clear to us. I pray, Father, that we would be equipped to even uh, further uh, yield to the steps that you're doing in our lives. God, we, we, we trust you. And we say that that which you began, you will accomplish. And uh, as much as we are involved in doing things for your name, The reality is we are your workmanship, that the preeminent work that you are doing is forming and fashioning me, us, each one of us, into your likeness. And so, God, I pray that we would have the courage and the capacity to embrace that work in Jesus' name. Amen. So, let me say this. Um, there's, There's so many things I can say about this. We had a great meeting here this week, and... And Derek gave this illustration, and it was really interesting because he was talking about... Uh, actually, Derek, come up for a second. Tell us that grade six story again. Do you remember how you said it the other day? Come on. What's in my heart, and, and, and this guy right here, what's in his heart, is the humility required for us to go forward in God. And I realized suddenly that my pride is so based on my position Like, I mentioned grade six, but like I said, for me, the big deal was grade nine. Because where where we were, we shared a gym, uh, grades five and six shared a gym with grades seven, eight, and nine, and a playground. So when you were in grade nine, you ruled. And uh, I I was at the very tail end of the tough guys. So I was always getting in fights with everybody. I was, a, I was like Mark. I was a fighter. And so constantly, if there was a fight behind the buses after school, that was me. And I forgive Lauren for going home and telling my mom and dad about it. That was my position. I was so confident in that. Then you go to grade 10. And the, I don't know if anybody here still remembers Frosh, but Frosh was a real thing when I was in school. And, uh, man, you were scum. Like, you were the lowest and, and so you were actually advancing from grade 9 to grade 10. But in status, in the, in the group that you were in, you went right to the bottom. The reason 
we walk into pride is because we aren't going forward fast enough with God. We've stayed way too long. I've talked to so many of my friends and relatives that are bogged down in a place and very confident in, in themselves in that place. You and I we, and, and everybody, we need to move forward into that grade 10 as, 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 as much as frosh is a real thing. You can't come to grade 12 without being in grade 10. And so wholeheartedly as a group, Lord, we say we're done with the pride of grade 9. We're willing to enter into the smallness of grade 10, knowing that that's a step towards God, knowing that that's a step towards heaven. Yeah, that, that's what you said. That, that is, that's great. That is really hard for us to handle. And it was very hard for the people of Jesus' day not for everybody, but for the ones who really thought they had the corner on what God wanted. The ones who were secure in their role that we know we represent God and we represent Him well. Those, that particular class of people in that day and in this day uh, are stuck. And they're holding on to the iconic picture of who they are and can't go further because the idea that there's something they cannot see that's beyond them is humiliating, literally humiliating. It makes you feel powerless, and it makes you feel, uh, well, it's, it's, like, it's like you're bobbing in an ocean. You don't, there's no idea of where you are. So when I, I remember years ago when, when I was in this church, first came to this church, we started going into some realms prophetically in worship, and I had a whole cross-section of people who, who kept saying, you know, this is... This is too complex. This is too high for others. And what they were meaning is for me, right? They, because actually, the younger believers, they're used to being at the bottom, right? It's the ones who are in grade 9 and don't want to go to grade 10 where they're scum again, where, they're not, where they have to start learning a whole new process, where they feel unsure of themselves, and, and, and there are things beyond their comprehension, beyond their vision. That in itself is destabilizing. And so that's why we find a place and we camp. We, get, we orient. Well, a lot of people won't leave their neighborhood. A lot of people won't leave their city. They won't leave what's familiar to them because there's a sense of competency that's connected with familiarity. And so we're trying to get to the place where we can be like little children, and the nature of little children is they don't know the accomplishment and the security and the pride of having an established role and influence in, in place like that. And so their, their life is continuous discovery. Their life is continuous wide, eye, wide eyes open, you know, like, wow, wow, wow. And, uh, and they're not afraid to say, I don't know. And they're not afraid to do things they don't know how to do, right? That's why young kids can learn languages. Adults learn languages, and they, they won't speak until they think they can say it right. And so what happens? They never learn because the pride of having to say it right, you know, overflows into this part of their life. Though they're, they should be starting here, they want to start here because that's, they're used to being competent at things. And so one of the things God is trying to get us to embrace is that the possibility, the potential for incompetence is unending. That the layers of, of who God is that remain to be discovered, I mean, we, we talk about Him being endless, right? 
His ways beyond finding out. Yet we want to fi- we want to abide in a place of safety, in a place of competence. In other words, you want to stop discovering more of God. Well, I wouldn't say that, but none of us would say that because you know that just sounds wrong. But that's the effect of this thing in our lives. Even, even John, who was Jesus' best friend, and was so confident in Jesus. He's on the Isle of Patmos, and all of a sudden God says, that's not good enough, John. So he sees a door standing open and a voice like a trumpet saying, come up here. And all of a sudden he's in a realm where he goes, oh my goodness. We have confidence to some limited degree in what we're walking in now. But suddenly a door could open up and say, okay, come up and see things a little more like they really are. And that's the constant invitation that we have. But it means certain things must drop to the ground. And, uh, and so that's why, you know, passion and uh, seeking Him with all of our heart is so key. Because there is a part in us that wants to stay where we are and is afraid to go. And we talked about this the last few weeks. So I just pray right now. As I'm, I'm going to start to develop where I want to go this morning. But... I pray, God, that the deep fear inside of us, the deep sense of powerlessness, particularly in men uh, who, who gain uh, power by competence. And, and uh, Father, I pray in Jesus' name you would release us, Father, from those, uh, those, uh, those places that we are anchored in our lives that keep us from stepping into what we don't know. So uh, Jesus was offering this exact thing to the Pharisees, and he said to them, because you say you see, your sin remains. In other words, you're going to remain in your condition right now because you keep claiming that you are aware of everything you need to be aware of. We need to hear this. The, the inability to, to, to cross over that place and, the, and confronting the fear of the possibility that there might be things I don't know. That others, even younger than me, or, or less noble than me, or less perfect than me, might have something I don't even know anything about. That is, for men, that is eviscerating to their sense of power, unless they're established in Christ and humility. Now, I mean, it affects women as well, but it affects men far more profoundly than it affects women. You know, I remember when the Father was doing something in my life and I began to get a sense uh, that there was something I couldn't see. And now this at the time was, was somewhat new to me because I was always the one who had prophetic vision. I mean, everybody I walked with, it, you know, I, I was the one who, who sort of discerned quickly. And then I, when I started walking with my spiritual father, you know, it took me a while to realize the possibility that they may see things that I don't have any idea about. But particularly, what was more fearful to me was the possibility that there might be things wrong with me that I don't have a handle on that they might see. That they actually, and I mean, I remember when the first idea of that hit me. I, it, was, it's, it shook me so much that I thought, no, 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 no. It's like, you, you know, I mean, you think, well, that seems like a reasonable assumption. But when it's actually striking your sense of self, it shakes everything that can be shaken. 
And it took me actually a number of years to, to come to a place where I was fully resigned to the idea that somebody who is that somebody might be so far ahead of me spiritually that they could see exactly what I needed. And I mean that was that was uh, that was that was tough. But I remember when it happened. I remember the day that I crossed over. And I remember I was traveling the nations. I was known in some ways. I was on television. I was a guest on It's a New Day and, and Crossroads. I would, you know, done, done travel the nations. I had a verifiable ministry, an identifiable name. I was accepted in the nation as a, in a certain function. But I remember the feeling this thing coming up, being in my, inside of me, this deep insecurity, this deep pride, this deep thing. And I remember coming to the place where thinking, I think Gideon... My spiritual father can see this, and I think he knows what to do. And if he said to me, what you need to do is shut down your ministry, don't travel for two years, and just pack, carry my bag and come with me. I, I remember the day when I thought, I would do that. And then it struck me, I couldn't have said that yesterday. And suddenly I saw a gap between where I was and where I was now, that I didn't even think that gap existed, because I would have told you, oh, I trust him implicitly. But trust is, <laughs> there's a great bandwidth to what trust is, and we trust in very careful levels. And we live at a distance from authority or people in very careful ways because we do not trust. And in some cases, we have very good reasons why not to trust. And so it's even harder to come over those thresholds to begin to trust somebody when, when, when trust previously had been betrayed. But that's actually the requirement. And what the Lord began to show me at that time is actually, you don't trust me any more than you trust Gideon. Oh, no, 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 I trust you. No, you don't. You don't have the ability to. That's what you don't understand. You don't have the ability to, to, res- to actually yield to me any more than you have the ability to yield to Gideon. Yeah, but you're perfect and he's not. And that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. I said all that to say this. <laughs> There's a lot of things we don't see. And you don't know what you don't see until you finally see it. Okay? And I, uh, my beautiful wife is back there who wants to remain anonymous, so don't look. But um, she is so attractive. I, I, I'm seriously, I was sitting here thinking, man, what a beautiful woman. I'm so glad I'm married to her. And I really mean that. It's like, <laughs> yeah, don't look. Nobody look. There are, there are things that, that she has said to me for years about what God wanted to do in me, but she didn't say it in that spiritual way. I just ignored it because uh, I, wasn't, I didn't really believe it. And, and it may have not been exactly true in the way she framed it, but it was largely true. And it's taken me 20 years to get to the point where actually I'm starting to believe that what she saw is more of a factor than what I thought it was. Why does it take 20 years? Because our walls are very high and we are very insulated in order to protect ourselves. And we all do it. We all do it. So the idea that uh, there's something here that I don't know is very terrifying. But I, so I want to read a passage of Scripture here. And it illustrates the layers of, of knowledge that we may or may not have. So I just want to give you an example that we know in part and we see in part but not everybody knows in parts the same as everybody else. Does that make sense? In John chapter 12, verse 27, 
It says this, Jesus is in a place, he's in, his soul is troubled, there's some things happening, and he's approaching his death, really. But in verse 27, he says, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. I mean, there's a lot of things I could say about what he's experiencing, but in some ways he's experiencing something he's never experienced before. Life is about to experience death. He's about to lay his life down. The, the, the eternal God, the Son of God, the Word of God who created the universe is about, his life can't be taken from him, but he's about to lay his life down and experience death. Okay, that's a little scary. But this is what he says. He says, Father, glorify your name. And this is the part I really wanted to focus on. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by heard it said, that it thundered. And others said an angel had spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. So let me just lay it out clearly, quickly, that there was at least three levels of hearing there. It's three levels of perception. Jesus clearly heard the phrase, the voice, and the words. You know, he, he this is what the Lord said, da-da-da-da-da-da, these are the words. But for some, it was thunder. That's all it was, thunder. So the difference between their hearing or their perception level is pretty significant. A dull roar in the heavens versus, you know, I will glorify it. It's quite a gap. But somebody else, somebody else a little more intuitive said, no, 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 that, that, that wasn't just thunder. I thought there might have been words there. I think an angel spoke to him. And that's a significant leap above, you know, I think there is a storm coming. And then, of course, Jesus attentively hearing exactly, precisely what the Lord said. Now, they're all there in the same place. They're all there on one level in the natural having the same experience, but not all perceiving the same way. That is the reality that is out there. So let me put it out there. Are we, on some level, ready to wonder about what it is we perceive? Are we ready to say, there may be people who perceive things beyond me. There may be more clarity to me. Maybe the, the way in which I interpret spiritual things and when others, because when others say, you know, very deliberately, the Lord said this, I sit back and I think, now nah, it just thundered. There's no way anybody experienced more than, you know, sort of obscure groaning, ambiguous roars. That's, that's all I've ever heard. There, there's no way somebody's got more than me. Sounds a little bit arrogant now, <laughs> Right? What if there is? I mean, I have, I have run into this my whole Christian life. I remember when I was a young Christian, I ran into pastors and they said, there is no deeper realities, it's just Jesus. You know, there's no mystery, it's just reaching the lost and preaching the gospel. And, you know, and, and then when somebody said they had a bit, no, no, no. The reason we come up with doctrines that God doesn't do that anymore because God didn't do it with us. And as soon as God does it with us, then, yeah, he does do that. I remember John Wimber, sort of, he's a little bit, you know, kind of 
jabbing at the church when he said, you don't have a word-based theology. You have an experience-based theology. You actually don't believe things. People don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues and until they're doing it. Like, yeah, it is for today. I've been telling you that for, for years. Well, now I know. <laughs> what else don't you know? Oh, I'm sure that's all there is. The the line we draw is the line of our experience. It may be tiny, we might be slightly open to something marginally past that, but only under very controlled circumstances. So on Friday here, we were praying, and uh, as when I think of praying, when I think of seeking the Lord, um, we can play, pray hundreds and thousands of different prayers. Like you can have threads of, Lord, we need this. Lord, we pray for that. Lord, da, 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 da. But when I think of those things that are bo- that kind of prayer that's born of the Spirit, ultimately can be summarized under one capstone prayer. And it is this, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Every, everything that we ask for that actually is born of God, that's not, you know, uh, as, as um, James put, you know, asking amiss, is actually an aspect of your kingdom come, your will be done. We're always doing that. And so I I love to pray that because I I always see, you know, sort of dimensions of of all of the aspects of the kingdom of God coming. And I just, to me, that that prayer opens up every vein of other prayer. So anyway, we're we're leaning into that, and I'm, I'm asking constantly, God, I want to know your kingdom. I want to understand your kingdom because there are protocols. There are things in heaven. I mean, there are things beyond our imagination. You could look just simply at the things that God asked the prophets to do and that Jesus did. You know, the the unusual things that Jesus did. And if you begin to think that there's a rationale and there's an understanding, because God is not random. He's very explicit. He's a very detail-oriented God, right? That everything he's asked and everything he's done has an entire... Uh, rationale behind it, okay, then you have to look at every single thing that is mysterious to you and realize there's a whole school of thought that you don't even know anything about. Part of what I feel is coming is an, is an atmosphere that causes us to begin to see that heavenly rationale. You know, and this is what Moses was after when he said that Mo- Moses uh, understood or saw the ways of God but the people only saw the acts of God. That Moses' heart was, was that I want to understand the why. Why do you do this? Why do you bless this one and not this one? Why is this one in a three-year, you know, dark night of the soul? And this one's in a wilderness. And this one, you know, has been having honeymoon for three years. You know, like, why, why do you deal so differently with all your children? There is a reason. Absolutely there is a reason. But behind the veil of mystery is is just vagueness for us. But what if God wanted to say, I want you to understand? So I began to see something, and I'm, I'm trying to get into it here, and, and we'll see. If, if I feel like the Holy Spirit is barring me from going into this today, I'm going to pull back, but I'm going to try. Can you, can you believe with me for a second? Let's pray in tongues for a second, because I, I know when, when I say things that might be challenging to your souls or to your condition, sometimes we reel back and, and start analyzing. And uh, I, I want us to draw on the Lord this morning. So, Father, we pray. God, open up your word to us, Lord. Cause us to see, Lord, your mystery today. 
God, cause us to see, Lord, the way you do things and why you do things. God, I pray in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. So when we're praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're praying a lot more than what we think. And every time I've had a revelation of who God was, the first thing that I see is I see what part of that that I am not. Okay, when, when God came and visited me as a Bible college student, and I mean, His glory came in the room, and I saw the, in, the, the essence of God's love, the essence of God's love and the glory that was a stripping, it was like acid to my works. It just began to strip everything about me, and I saw... that everything I was doing was not born of love, that it was born of ambition and pride and everything else. So when you see the glory of God, the nature of the glory of God is it's the ultimate light. It is the ultimate exposure. And that's why men are going to call for the rocks to fall on them to hide from His face, because His face caused everything to be seen for what it actually is. Right? The judgment seat of Christ. You know, some build with wood, hay, and stubble, and He says the day will declare it. So in that moment, suddenly what was not obvious will become obvious. And like Mike Bickle, he says, he says, I pray every day. He said, I pray, God, shock me now. Don't shock me later. In other words, I want to know what, it will be, what will be obvious to me later. I want to know now while I can do things differently. And that should be all of our heart. And the only thing, the reason we don't actually lean into that is because we, our pride and our sense of self is wrapped up in currently what we are doing. Because what we do and how we do it right now defines our significance to us. And as much as we think, oh, no, I'm hidden in Christ, yes, partially. But as much as you derive your significance from what you do and who you think you are, you are hiding. And so we are gradually coming out of the darkness into light. Okay? That's just the way it's happening. So anyway, as we were praying, I began to feel this thing. I began to feel... Uh, the, the, the atmosphere of heaven around the idea of promotion. As we were worshiping and praying, uh, I was hit with this amazing picture, and the picture was this. It was, I saw men on earth. It's like I saw the, the flurry of activity as soon as there was an opportunity for men to come into a place. I mean, you see this in the natural. You see this in a workplace where, where, you know, somebody's retiring, you know, a senior manager, and all of a sudden, all the other managers, they're, they're what? They're, what do you think they're doing? They're hustling, they're posturing, they're, they're selling themselves, they're, you know, hey, that could be me. Now, what I saw is, is I saw seats and thrones in heaven. I saw places of authority, but I saw them vacant, I saw them not occupied presently, but what I didn't see is people presuming to sit in them. That's what I saw. I thought, I thought, wow, that is... And the contrast from the posture here on earth was so vivid in that moment. I thought, I thought on earth, if there's an opening, if there's a seat of influence, there's already people submitting their names or, you know, behind the scenes. I, you know, I think uh, I would make a really great vice president uh, you know, I mean, and all, here's the reasons why. I mean, we're, we're campaigning, we're, we're, long, we're lunging, if not outrightly stepping into that. And what I saw was that in heaven, there was, a, there was a, uh, this atmosphere that gave the sense of the fear to do that. That to do that 
what would involve a certain level of presumption that was not in heaven, that was constantly on the earth. And I want you to pray right now. God, give us the fear of the Lord. Because I believe if this generation is going to go into what it's intended to go in, there has to be a level of discerning the body discerning the body of Christ, discerning who uh, uh, actual true apostles are and where people are in the Spirit, in the kingdom, and not presuming to be something we are not, and actually instead honoring those that have something in the kingdom of God and being ready to believe and to honor instead of incredulously sitting back, I don't know why everybody's going to their meeting because my meeting's the best. Well, maybe there's a reason people are going to that meeting. Well, they're all deceived, clearly. I mean, we are ready to believe evil things about people that have done nothing wrong to us because it compromises our potential position in the kingdom of God. And that is not in heaven. That, that can't stay in heaven. Oh, you think, well, what about Lucifer? What about Satan? Oh, yeah, he rose up in that, but how long was he there? I mean, it says there's a list of things that will not be in heaven in Revelations. One of them is the fearful, the fearful. I began to see that uh, these seats or any position or any kind of authority is like a proverbial carrot that on earth, us donkeys are always lunging for it, but in heaven, there's a sense of honor and respect, and there's a sense that that seat is not for anyone to just take. In contrast to that, let's look at a couple of scriptures. You'll remember if you go to uh, Mark 10. Now, as we're going along and as I'm opening some of these things, I'm asking the Lord for a constant, you know, because what happens in heaven is there's a knowledge that permeates the air that cause order to be what it is. It's, it's not unlike the knowledge of God on earth, you know, that creates order. You have some lands where there's a sense of respect for law and order, where we don't just drive wherever. You go to some place and people just drive forever. Why? Because there's no sense that that's inappropriate. Not only are they not trained in it, it's not enforced, so there's, no, there's nothing. Well, in heaven, there's an atmosphere, and it's not guided by policemen. It's guided by a knowledge that emanates from the throne of God, that this is what is right. This is what is correct. And the very presence of God creates these lines that cause heaven to come into sync with those lines. And when we're praying, your kingdom come on earth, what we're asking is, will that knowledge come that checks the angels and the beings of heaven, will it come to the earth and check humanity the same way it checks the beings of heaven? That's part of the kingdom of God. It is an atmosphere. And so um, if, you, if you look here, you'll see uh, in verse 35, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. <laughs> now, why do you think they're using those words? Because they heard Jesus say, if you, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it for you. <laughs> yeah, so they have no clue of asking amiss yet, right? No, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean this is voodoo. I didn't mean this is black magic. You know, you just, you just a certain incantation. If you just throw in these words, then it's, you know, it's going to magically unfold. There, is, there are other values that this must line up for, for this to work. But the disciples didn't understand that. So they, oh, wow, whatever we ask, quick, quick. Let's go ask him before anybody else does, because this is the magic thing, right? We're, we're going to get special places in heaven if we just ask before anybody else. So they come, I think this is so funny, right? Because you, you see their, the immaturity of their understanding. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, 
Grant us that we may sit on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said, We are able. Again, you know, you don't have a clue. So Jesus said to them, You will indeed, actually, he said, You will be baptized with my baptism and you will drink with the drink that I, with which I'm baptized. Um, you will be baptized, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. And I just, the significance of that statement has escaped me forever. That, that the, the way that the order of the kingdom of God is, is that seats of authority are not up for the very first that asks and, you know, for the, you know, the first one that dives in there, that there's actually a very explicit process for all of these things. And, of course, the difference is it, when you have ignorance, then you presume a lot and you reach for things that aren't yours and you grab hold of things that aren't given to you. Why do we do that? Because the atmosphere of the fear of the Lord is, is not is not in us. We don't really understand that. And so in the world, you have this frenzied, ladder-climbing, ambitious, fighting, you know, dog-eat-dog pursuit of the, the most influential, the most prosperous, the, most, the best seats, so to speak, in all the, the structures that men have. You have that constantly going on. So when we're praying, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, what if, what if an atmosphere came that would cause a person to realize, actually, if I was the foreman, that I might get $5 more an hour, but I can't do that job because I don't have the actual, A, the desire for it, and B, I don't have the skill set to do that. I don't have the leadership it takes to manage people in the way that the foreman does. But you know what? In our system, I'm next in line. In our system, you know, I've been here working here the longest and da 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 and therefore I should inherit. That's not how the kingdom of God works. But it works like that in the natural because all we see, we're limited to a, a, a bandwidth of seeing that blinds us. And God is saying, men are trying to bring into the church that system that is connected to what they see with their eyes. So let me give you an example here. When I became... Uh, a Christian, I just saw things. I, I mean, I, I can't explain it. I just saw things. And I, when I talked to others, especially people who were ahead of me, and they couldn't see things, the first thing they did was attack me and try to minimize or diminish or pretend that those things couldn't be possible because you've only been saved six months. And so one of the messages I keep giving across to our church is we're asking for the kingdom of God here and maybe you have a role, maybe you have a position, maybe you have a function in the body here that is at a certain level, and you're defining yourself, but what if God brings people off the streets who've been saved six months, and suddenly they're moving in things that are way beyond you? Do you know that God does not honor our systems of tenure and our systems of, uh, what's that, uh, seniority? Yes. God doesn't go seniority. I mean, like seniors, but, you know. But God does not honor seniority. Paul, the apostle, I mean, he, was, he, wrote, he wrote how much more of the New Testament than anybody else, and yet he was the last one in. And we love that, you know, the last shall be first, as long as we think we're the last, that we'll be first. 
But if we're the first, it's going to be last. It's like, no, well, no, that doesn't mean that. It only means such and such. So what is it that would cause a people en masse to actually say yes to God's promotion system? I mean, I've talked about this before. I mean, we love that saying, you know, uh, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, because we're always thinking that we're Jacob, right? We're always putting ourselves vicariously in the seat of Jacob or Benjamin. You know, we looked at the one who has 10 cities or 10 towns and taken from the one and given to the one who has 10. That's totally fair because we think we're the 10 and we're going to get the 11. What if we're on the other side of this equation? Can we honor it then? I pray. You see, because when we're praying your kingdom come, there is a, a, a seeing and an evaluating and a perceiving that causes us to see others and their gifts and to honor that and say, you know what, I think this person would be better suited for this role. I think da-da-da-da-da-da. And so what the kingdom of God is abolishing this rabid system of self-promotion in favor of seats of authority and positions given to those for whom it is prepared. And the difference of what's coming is we're actually going to begin to see those that are prepared. But it's all, it's all conditional upon are we willing to see? Are we willing to see? See, a lot of the sense of injustice we have, you know, I run into people all the time, and I know churches make tons of mistakes. There are, there are problems all the time, and, and there's all kinds of issues that go on. But the church and its problems is not the reason you don't have a ministry, and it's not the reason you, you aren't fulfilling your destiny, and it's not the reason that you aren't an apostle somewhere, and it's not the reason why you don't have a television ministry reaching millions. None of that is ever the reason for anything, because God has structured the kingdom of God that anybody who honors Him, He is the just judge of all. And if necessary, he can get you to bypass anybody. He, he can do that. There's a rest in that. It's like, wow, hallelujah. So it doesn't even matter who opposes me. It doesn't even matter who doesn't like me. It doesn't even matter who doesn't recognize That God has actually got this, this other system of promotion that he imposes on the visible one. And there's two types of people, those that see the visible one and try to manage their way up to the top, and those who see another one. And in this kingdom, those that see the other one are most likely to respond to the lines, to the divisions, to the assignments of grace. You know, when, but when God, or actually when Paul was writing in Corinthians about the, the Corinthians, and you know what he said, right? He said, said about the Lord's Supper, and he said, some of you are dead, right? And some of you are sick. And the reason, he said, is because you have not discerned the body. You haven't discerned the body. What is he talking about? He's actually talking about this very thing, is you are looking at people according to some other value system other than mine. And you're, you, you think the church is your little private social club. And you think you're, how much money you gave or how many years you've been here or what you're doing here is what gives you position in that. You're not discerning the body. And so you are actually rapidly crossing lines and stepping into offices that do not belong to you. And when you don't get it, you're angry and you leave the church mad and you're criticizing and everything. What if these things happen by grace? Oh, yeah, I don't believe that. And that's the problem. What if we could start to view people according to the actual grace, spiritual gifting that's on them, and to honor that? Wow. I mean, this, this is a big issue, actually. It is way bigger than I thought as we started to get into it because, because there are global leaders in the body of Christ that 
that great percentages of the body of Christ hate. And I'm thinking, you know, how are we ever going to win the world when we can't even... Anyway, I, I could get into some examples here, but let me, let me read another passage from Revelations because this, really, this one really, really, really struck me. And I, so it says in Revelations chapter 5, and it says, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. Now, the one sitting on the throne is the Ancient of Days. It's the Father. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll to loose its seals? Verse 3, And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. You know what the key difference between that scene and the earth is? If you put up a possibility that somebody... We're looking for somebody to open the scrolls. You get kind of AGT, you know, America's Got Talent lineup. You get thousands of people presenting themselves. Oh, I think that should be me, right? There is no common knowledge that, hey, you don't even have a chance of being the one, right? Have you ever seen people, 99% of the people that show up to, you know, America's Got Talent, they got ideas, I'm going to be the next greatest thing, and they don't have a chance, not a chance in a billion of being sung. You can't sing. Who told you you could sing? Well, I thought, you know, maybe something would come out that nobody ever seen before. Well, my mom says I can sing, or, you know, but it's like no sense of the, of the layers of skills that this position requires. Oblivious, ignorant, total donkeys lunging at a carrot. I mean, can you think, can you, can you see that? In heaven, in heaven, They saw the seal, and they intuitively knew no one is worthy to open that seal. There's no lineup. There's no tryouts. It was just understood. When we're praying, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we're praying for a knowledge that checks proudful flesh, presumptuous, arrogant ambition. That's what we're praying for. And it's coming. It's coming with the fear of the Lord. It's going to cause certain things to be obvious that wasn't obvious before. And so let me finish reading here because I didn't read the whole thing, and then I'll, then I'll close this up. So the Apostle John, So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open the, and read the scroll or to look at it. Nobody was even worthy to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth, Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. I mean, there's a mouthful right there. A lamb? Oh, yeah, the lamb of God. A lamb having seven horns and seven eyes and the seven spirits of God? I thought this was a trinity. It is many aspects of things we don't fully understand. And starting there is what the Holy Spirit is saying. Listen, you're saying your kingdom come, your will be done, but you have an idea what that's going to look like. And usually that idea means special reward for you, special distinctions for you. But what if my, what I'm trying to get you to do is honor others first and not presume these things about yourself, not be 
well, I should have been selected for that, and I should be one of these, and this people doesn't, they don't recognize who I am. I believe that as a church, as a people, that if we start responding in the quiet places of our life and, and putting a check on attitudes we already know are ungodly about leaders, about those that are anointed, about those that are in places of authority, that have seats. You know, Jesus said very clearly, no one can have anything unless it be given to them from above. Well, that's not God. No one can receive anything unless it be given to them by God. Father, I pray today that our awareness of what it is we're praying for, what we're asking for, what we're longing for, Lord, where we want to see your system. We want to see the lines that you draw. We want to see, Lord, how you govern heaven, how the beasts of heaven know their place, how they know how to worship, how they know how to respond to different administrations of your presence. God, we pray our hearts would be open. We want to say today, God, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. And we have no idea how much we know. And we may say, even realize that that's an artificial statement because there's this fear inside of us and there's this pride. But we're giving you permission, Holy Spirit, to say, would you come and teach us? Would you come? And may the lions fall to us in pleasant places. Oh, God, change, Father, how we see our praying. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, God. Thank you, Father. I believe a people are coming up who are so free, and they really want God's order, even if it means they're last, even if it means they're last, even if I'm a gatekeeper in the house of the Lord. You know, that anything to participate in this enterprise is better than nothing. Anything at all, any part at all, I will be gra- glad for. Lord, I don't want to be one just hearing thunder when there are words if I could hear words. And I don't want to say there were no words just because I only heard thunder. Help me to honor what's coming down from heaven and align with it fast, quickly. I want to be a part of the generation that walks in your presence. So, Father, we want to close today by submitting our lives to you and say, Lord, we want to come in line with your thoughts and your ideas and your power and your majesty and your glory. And we say, Lord, teach us, teach us, teach us, and deliver us fully from the fear, the fear, the fear that causes the earth to be driven mad with ambition and pride. Oh, God, may we stand completely in contrast to everything around us so that the world may know, Lord, that we are loved and we are disciples. In Jesus' name. Amen.